Father, we thank you that you are a creator and that you create this globe and this world and, uh, and us, uh, us as mankind to, to know you and enjoy you. Uh, we, we are sorry for the way that we've uh, rejected you and walked away from you. Lord, I pray you would um, help us hear what you have to say this morning. Help us to have ears uh, to hear. And I pray for Dick as he comes to speak to us that you would uh, encourage and strengthen him and give him the words to say and that you would say to us today, we pray. Amen. Before we uh, start our Bible study this morning, I just want to commend you. Uh, I've been, I was here, we were here last week and here this morning. And uh, I really sense God is working in your midst. We're all very imperfect people, aren't we? And yet, I, I really sense that you love each other. Uh, you love the Lord. Your love each other comes from your understanding of God's love for you. And I, I really believe there's a tremendous potential for God's uh, using this local church to impact not only your lives, but the lives of many more people. And I really believe Iraq. Um, I I think, uh, was it this week? that email about um, the uh, various responses from the accountability group, and I'm not sure why I'm in that, but um, I shared my heart. Uh, I love the church God is doing here, and so uh, we're so grateful for you, and I just want to encourage you to continue. What God has started, God can continue and build on that, and great things can happen here as you focus on, on Jesus, because he is he's everything. Well, um, this morning, I, I'm only going to cover one book of the Bible. Um, thankfully, it's a short one. It's the book of Jonah, and if you have uh, a church Bible on the table in front of you, uh, feel free to use that. I think it's page 774 in that one. And uh, it for some of you, it's, I think, eight books from the end of the Old Testament. But the book of Jonah is just an exciting book. And I, I the Lord laid this book on my heart this morning because I've been in this personally, and the Lord has impacted my life we, when we think of Jonah, we think of the story of Jonah and the whale. couple problems with that. Number one, it might not have been a whale. We'll talk about that. Uh, it was a large fish. And there are a lot of different large fishes out in the ocean. But uh, the other problem with that is that I don't believe... The focus of the story was a fish or a whale. The focus was the heart of God. And Nineveh needed to understand the heart of God, but Jonah did too. And he should have known better. And the Lord used some very unusual means to impact his own heart. The book ends rather abruptly. We're not even sure what really transpired in Jonah's life um, at the end. But the Lord began to reveal himself, particularly in the area of mercy. 
You know, a lot of us have been wounded by other people. Am I right? In different ways. We've been criticized. People have even told lies about us, spread gossip. I remember when I was, this is going back quite a few years, but I was a very young, immature Christian, and I was a student at a Bible college. And another student began to spread untruths about me. And um, it really threw me for a loop. Um, because I knew what he was saying about me, and it was spreading among other students, uh, was not true at all. And I didn't know if they believed him or not. I went to the president of the school, and I just poured out my heart to him. And he said rather simply, after listening for a while, he said, you know, um, just take it and throw it in the corner with the rest of the rubbish and go on. And that really helped me. And, and since then, there have been other people that have hurt me too. And I think may, maybe some of you have experienced some of that, ex, the experience of being wounded. Um, and it's thrown you for a loop. And maybe you have even gone into some kind of a depression or um, bitterness or anger like Jonah experienced. And I think God's Word has some definite solutions to how we respond when those things happen. Um, looking back, when we were missionaries inside Iran, we knew uh, a family, the father's name was Haik Hosipian. Haik was one of the first men who was killed for his faith in Jesus. This is 1994. And I remember being actually with him in Paris for a conference the year before that. And I loved this brother. We had worked together in some ministry things when we were on the ground in Iran. And yet one day, because of his stance as a Christian, he was murdered brutally on the street. And... Um, it, of course, grieved his family. In fact, to this day, his widow and his um, four children grieve over the loss of their husband and father. But they're not seeking revenge like ISIS is. They're not seeking revenge like many in the Muslim world are. Instead, they're loving. In fact, they've devoted their lives. I know the family. probably know the sons, the three sons, the best. But the three sons are engaged in full-time ministry in different ways, using their talents and gifts to minister, to reach right back in love to the Iranian people. And, and God is doing a wonderful work in their lives. But if they have lapsed into bitterness... And wanting to have revenge on the killers of their father and husband, none of this would have happened. And that kind of leads us into the story of Jonah, and there are a lot of parallels with him. Verse 1 of chapter 1, actually there are four chapters, four scenes. Chapter 1 took place on a ship 
and then in the ocean. Chapter 2, the second scene, took place in the belly of this great fish. And then chapter 3 took place in Nineveh. Chapter 4 took place outside of Nineveh, Nineveh in what I call God's school. Because Jonah needed a lot of schooling and coming to understand God's heart. So in chapter 1, verse 1, it says this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up against me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish, So he paid the fare, went on board to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. What do we know about Jonah? Here we see his father's name. Actually, there's one other reference in the Old Testament, Testament, uh, 2 Kings. Um, There's a reference to him. It actually says where he was from. He was from northern Israel, up in the Galilee area. And he was called upon by God to go to the city of Nineveh to preach against their evil. Now keep in mind, Nineveh, which was the capital of Assyria, was a wicked, evil city. It would be like God saying to one of us, I want you to go right into Iraq or Syria and to preach Jesus and preach the message of repentance to the Muslim, Muslim terrorists uh, that go by the banner of ISIS. Do you think that would be dangerous? It would. And that's exactly what Jonah was facing, because Assyria was Israel's number one enemy, ready to pounce, ready to move into the northern kingdom of Israel to take it over, And brutalize it like they did with many other nations. They wouldn't just defeat nations, but they would actually brutalize the people, do unimaginable things. They would behead people. They would burn people alive um, to inject fear into them and so that they would succumb to their wishes. But this is the place that Jonah was called upon by God to go and to preach this message of repentance and faith in Jehovah. It says in verse 3 that (laughs) Jonah didn't want to go there. Instead, it says he fled, first of all, went to Joppa, which is down on the coast of Israel. And then he got a ship to go all the way to this Tarshish, which was probably on the southern coast of Spain. Why that place? Because it was probably on the very edge of the known world of that day. He wanted to go as far away as possible instead of going about 500 miles northwest from where he was in Israel to Nineveh. He went about 2,500 miles west to this place. And it says that he fled 
in order to get away from the presence of God. Is that possible? Can we actually flee from God's presence? Some people try. They try to push God out of their lives, hoping he'll go away. Of course, he never does. He waits patiently like he did in Jonah's case. And here in verse 4, we see that he was there all the time. Right where Jonah was with these mariners, these sailors, in the ship. It says in verse 4, God hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. By the way, these were probably pagan sailors, maybe from that same area in southern Spain. Phoenicians, we're not sure who exactly they were, but they were idol worshippers. And they cried to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down from the into the inter, innermost part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. We're calling out to our gods. You call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us so that we may not perish. Get the picture? They're out on the sea. God initiates this gigantic storm. It threatens to sink the ship. The sailors call out to their gods. Of course, they don't hear because they don't exist. They tell Jonah to call out to his God. And then, further, a little further down, beginning with verse 7, they cast lots. Not sure how that works. I kind of think God had his hand in the results because the lot turns out to point right at Jonah. And he admits, yep, the storm is here because I am here and not up there in Nineveh. I'm running from the presence of God. And they say in verse 11, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? And he said, verse 12, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. It goes on. The sailors attempted to get out of the storm by rowing, but finally they give up. They throw Jonah overboard to a certain death. At least they thought so. But at the very end of chapter 1, verse 17, it says, The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. Um, life preservers are very... Good when you need one. Here, God, in a miraculous way, and you see his hand throughout this entire story in various ways, he gives Jonah a life preserver in the form of this great fish so that he wouldn't die in the sea. What an act of mercy. And you see these acts of mercy all the way through the story. 
But here God provides it. The fish swallows him and then he was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Chapter 2, scene 2, which is him inside this great fish. It says, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. And we have his prayer recorded here. You get the idea he's praying in the fish? Normally, when you're swallowed by a fish, a shark, or whatever it might be, you die pretty quickly. But here, Jonah is alive. And he's not only alive, but he is not being digested by the fish, but instead instead he's, he's praying out to the Lord and crying out because of his situation. Another act of mercy from God where God says, it's not time for you to die. You see, Jonah deserved to be killed right on the spot, in the sea, in the storm, and now in the fish. But God says, no, he's patient with Jonah and deals with him. And then we come to chapter 3. The very end of chapter 2, it says, the Lord spoke to the fish. And it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Um, Significant to me that Jonah was expelled from the fish on dry land and not the sea. (laughs) Another act of God in his life, an act of mercy. God just guides him back to the land and then in chapter 3, The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose. He finally got the point. He arose, went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, and this was his message. Not sure if this is exactly what the Lord intended, but this is what Jonah said. Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believe God. They call for a fast, put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least. Here Jonah finally goes to where the Lord had called him to go in the first place. And he goes and he preaches to the people. And amazingly enough, in this wicked city, in this wicked nation that was so brutal and so evil, they respond right away and repent of their sin. In fact, a little bit further on in this chapter, you see the very king, the king of the city, repents and he orders everybody in the city to do the same and it says in verse 10 when the lord saw what they did how they turned from their evil way god relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it um the effect of the preaching is kind of amazing here I remember when we actually had to evacuate Iran 
1979. And when the revolution broke out, we tried to stay, and then it, after numerous warnings from the government, we finally decided to leave, and we thought to ourselves, as we flew out of the country and were into Turkish territory, that that was the end of God's work in Iran. We saw the direction that the country was taking. It had been Islamic before, but a very nominal Islamic country, and yet it became an Islamic republic, and the entire nation was ruled under the laws of Islam. In fact, it's that way today, and you would think that that would be the end of God's work in that country. Did you know that Iran has the highest rate of evangelical Christian growth in the world? It's almost 20% a year. The U.K., the U.S., every other country in the world comes nowhere close to that. Um, This is a surprise to a lot of people. How God could be doing could be doing such an important deep work in this nation when there's so much evil and persecution, and people know when they confess Christ as Savior that it could be a death sentence, but they do anyway because they're so hungry, so desperate. And this is what happened—the kind of thing that happened there in Nineveh—and. Um, Frankly, Jonah wasn't expecting that result. Chapter 4. You would think that Jonah would be happy about this, to see an evil nation repent and turn to God in faith. But it says, It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in the country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious and God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting of disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? The Lord saved the punchline and the real reason why Jonah fled to Tarshish until we come to chapter 4. This is what he was thinking. He was not just afraid of going into Nineveh, but he actually thought that if he would preach this message of repentance, that the people of Nineveh might return and God would extend mercy to them, and Jonah didn't want that to happen. He wanted to see them eliminated. He wanted God to nuke them, basically. And remove them from the face of the earth. And now he sees that very scenario of God's mercy being extended to a very undeserving people. Seeing that unfold right before his eyes. And he's angry. This anger, by the way, in verse 
verse 1 of chapter 4, is a burning anger. It's a very intense kind of anger. Jonah was angry with the people of Nineveh. No doubt about that. And he had reason to be angry. But now he was angry against Jehovah. Angry with the way God had decided to treat this nation. And actually wanted to end his life. In fact, twice in this chapter, he says, Lord, take my life. I don't want to live anymore. I'd rather die than to see mercy extended to the city of Nineveh. Verse 5, Jonah went out of the city, sat in the east of the city, and made a booth for himself there. And he sat under it in the shade till he would see what would become of the city. Then it says, another act of mercy from the Lord. The Lord God appointed a plant. He made it come up over Jonah so that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. By the way, that was a pretty fast-growing plant. It grew up in one night to provide enough shade for him from the heat. So Jonah was exceeding glad because of the plant. But when dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun arose... God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord repeated the same question. The Lord is so patient. All he does with Jonah is ask him questions. Do you do well to be angry? Do you have a good reason? To be angry for what I have done to Nineveh. Do you have a good reason for being angry for what I have done to this plant? Jonah said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, key verses now. You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? And it ends with a question of the Lord. Here the Lord says, Jonah... You're all focused on yourself. You're focused on your comfort. You were uncomfortable sitting there in the heat. And I provided, without you doing anything, I provided you this plant that would provide shade for you. And then the worm came and took it away. And you're again suffering in the heat. And all you're concerned about is yourself and your comfort. But I've got some... Compassion that focuses on people, the people who desperately need mercy and need to have a life change, and that would be the people of Nineveh. 120,000 people, we're not sure who that refers to, 
could refer to actually children who are too young to be accountable for their own their own sin, or it could be just the general population who lack understanding and wisdom about their own relationship with God. We're not sure what that refers to. But here we have God showing that his heart of mercy is centered on people. And he loves them very, very much. And he loves to extend mercy to them and to extend that and draw them to into a relationship with himself. Bottom line, God is sovereign. <laughs> He's working. And God loves to extend mercy. And Jonah was the object of mercy all the way through this story. God could have killed him instantly when Jonah disobeyed, but God didn't do that. He let him go. And then he used the storm to call him back. And God, through his mercy, didn't allow Jonah to die in the sea. In fact, provided that fish that was actually a life preserver to save his life, kept him alive inside the fish, allowed him to be expelled from the fish on the dry land all acts of wonderful mercy from God, and yet Jonah himself was holding back and extending mercy to other people. You know, we're so, so blessed. We're so, so blessed by the Lord because we are objects of his wonderful, wonderful mercy. Dave asked me when I started my spiritual journey, and I shared that night, and I remember it, so distinctly when I knelt down beside my bed and the gospel, the good news of Jesus had never made sense until that night. I don't remember anything about it, but it made sense to me in such a simple way. And I knew that I had fallen short of God's standard and I was headed to hell apart from God's mercy, and I accepted his mercy that was given to me in the person of the Son, Jesus, when he died in my place. And to this day, and I continue to learn new facets about it, but I'm so grateful that my relationship with God doesn't depend on me and what I do or don't do. It depends only on what Christ has done. It's not that we, to get into a right relationship with God, to enjoy Him, which He wants us to do, we somehow have to perform and do all this stuff. Instead, He wants us simply to accept what Jesus has already done. And then, when we've done that, He begins to change our character and to make us more like Jesus, his son. And I, maybe there's some of you in this room who have never personally trusted Jesus. You've been familiar with religion, you've gone to church, and yet you've never put your faith in Christ. And I appeal to you to accept God's mercy that's been extended to you through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And you can do that by simple faith. Trusting 
responding just like Nineveh did when they repented and it says they believed this message that Jonah had been given. The other thing is when God's mercy makes sense to us, it makes sense to show that mercy to other undeserving people. As, as I said, when it begins to wash over us and grip our hearts, it makes sense to show that mercy to other people who may not deserve it, even the very people who have hurt you. People that have wounded you in some way, maybe even in a physical way, some awful way. Um, God can do a work in your heart so that you extend mercy to them and grace, even as you have experienced it through Jesus. How do you do that? I close with um, just a reference from Luke chapter 6. Powerful verses. Here, in fact, if you look at the parallel passage in Matthew, Jesus says to his disciples, you have heard it said that you should love your neighbor, the people people you get along well with, and you should hate your enemy. And here in Luke chapter 6 and verse 27, Jesus says, I've got a different message for you. I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. And then down in verse 29, uh, 36 rather, be merciful even as your father is merciful. The proper response to enemies, whether it be ISIS or that neighbor you can't stand, or husband, wife, who has mistreated you, has been critical, or whatever it might be, the proper response is to love them by faith in Jesus' name. And it has different components. Doing good to them, blessing them, praying for them. Thinking of ways that you can actually reach out to them, do good to them, help them in practical ways. Blessing them, actually praying and say, Lord, would you bring blessing into the life of that person? There's a guy who um, used to be in our church and um, caused a lot of grief for the church. He's no longer in the church, and that's probably a good thing. I take long walks throughout our neighborhood from time to time, and I've got this particular route that I walk. I always walk within a half a block of his house, and often um, I pray for him. I pray that even though he is done wrong to me and to many others in our church that God would bring blessing and revival into his own life. Not excusing his sin at all. 
And when we look at Muslim terrorists, we should never, never just excuse what they are doing. By the way, in their case, they're simply acting out their belief about God. They say that Allah is merciful. But Allah, Allah, Allah is actually only merciful to those who deserve it. And you look at the Quran very carefully. They're simply acting out their understanding of Allah, and that's why they do what they do. But God is a God who extends mercy to those who do not deserve it. And I think I would just encourage all of us, and I have so much to learn in this area, but encourage us to begin to do that with the people who have wounded us, continue to wound us, but to pray for God's blessing in their lives and for God to do a deep, deep work in them and to extend unconditional love. Doesn't mean you accept what they do, but you extend love just like love has been extended to us in the person of Jesus when we didn't deserve it. I mentioned Heiko Sipian and his family doing that very thing. They're some of the most humble, gentle, loving people I know. And um, God has done a work in them as they've come to experience God's wonderful mercy. They've been able to extend that to other people who don't deserve that either. Let me pray for you. Father, I just pray that your spirit would make sense of these feeble words. And I pray, Lord, that you would teach us from this wonderful passage of Scripture about your heart and how full of mercy you are. And we just want to thank you as a body right now that you have extended such wonderful, wonderful mercy to us. In the person of Jesus. Lord, not only in saving us, but thank you, Lord, for the many ways that you are good to us and show us mercy, even in the mundane things of life. Thank you that you don't give us what we deserve, but you give us what we don't deserve. And I just pray for those, some that are really struggling in this room. I really don't know these people that well, and yet I know in every group there are people that struggle with people who have wounded them, and I pray that you would do a work in their hearts to the end, that they would understand your mercy, and then by faith would extend that same mercy to those very people who have wounded them. Thank you that you can do a work in our hearts, and we're going to trust you. And we ask you, in Jesus' name, that you would do that to the end, that we would reflect Christ and reflect his mercy in the way we have relationships with our enemies. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.